Welcome to Food Farms and Chefs radio show, where we highlight everyone from the top industry leaders to startups and farmers that make it all possible with Chef Jean Blom and photojournalist Amaris Pollock. Hi, and welcome back to Food Farms and Chefs. And I'm very excited because we have somebody who is speaking on behalf of an internationally acclaimed beer and brewery, Forge Irish Stout, which I have Trevor Karen, who is the co-founder, and Kristen Barnett, who is the co-founder of Culinary Creators, speaking on behalf of Forged Irish Stout. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having us. <laughs> Thank you for having us. No problem. So um, I think it's very exciting because, I mean, I'm a beer lover. I know Gene is also a beer lover, but I am a huge stout lover. And Forged Irish Stout is not just created in over in Ireland. It, they, they brought it here. So <sighs> tell us a little bit about first your history and your association with Forged Irish Stout and it's um, creator, of course, Connor. <laughs> Take the floor, KB. Sure. So um, we uh, got in touch with Connor's team this summer, um, actually through Trevor's wife, who works. Her family's business is one of the larger beer distributors on the East Coast. And so we were excited to partner with them to bring Forge Irish Chef to the U.S. Um, and During I, the brewery? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, seeing the whole <laughs> the whole site, <laughs> of course. And um, what was it like? How exciting was it? Because I know that Connor McGregor, who is a MMA, like a professional um, champion winner of MMA, um, what was it like working with him and having him come over here um, to bring his his uh, beer? to the U.S. because I know that he's expanding internationally and he's, a you know, it's come with a large reception, like a positive reception for for it. And I know that it's supposed to have a smooth mouth feel. So um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know which one of you can take this this question, but, you know, what what's the what are the tasting notes and how how did, does he make it? Because I think that he also has a patent to help it become even more creamy as it pours. Yeah, but it was a bit of a backdrop. Um, Connor was obviously massively successful with his first product, Proper 12. And the genesis of this was he bought his childhood pub in Crumlin, Dublin, called the Black Forged Inn. It's a pub he grew up going to since he was a kid. And him and the co-founders of the brand really wanted to say, why don't we need a traditional Irish stout? We need something that that speaks, you know, authentically there. And over the course of three years, they started developing a stout with a world-renowned brewery called the Porterhouse in Dublin. And when it was ready for market, the intention was just to sell it from the pub, uh, exclusive to the Black Forge Inn. But over the course of time, it became a fan favorite. It won a silver award in uh, a major beer award category. And quickly thereafter, they started distribution throughout Ireland, the UK. And as Kristen mentioned, that's when we had the pleasure of getting introduced to Connor, seeing his excitement for the beer, meeting the team equally as important who have years of experience in the beer industry. And since then, uh, launched live in New York, Philadelphia, New Jersey. Chris and I are heading up to Boston in two weeks for that launch and more and more to come. 
Um, but to answer your question, it's a hundred percent Irish ingredients. It's a sessionable beer, four and a half percent in alcohol, 140 calories. So when you think about it, it looks deceivingly, you know, it is dark, but it's deceiving because it's a very, very easy drinkable beer. And as we all know, there hasn't been many people, you know, many other brands other than a lot of kind of craft brands, which are amazing in the stout category for a long time. So we see this as a tremendous opportunity for someone with the megaphone of someone like McGregor, who's an international superstar mixed with an authentic beer that comes from his home getting placed in the U S and we're, we're rolling it out market by market. And, and yeah, so it's, it's, uh, it's an incredible journey so far and just the beginning. Well, I'm a huge, huge fan of your beer and your product. Um, you know, I, with my background, I'm a little bit, I'm into craft brewing and we have a craft brewery and we have a, a chocolate stout. So, or is this, you know, it's, it's very different than what you guys do. And, you know, but I love the hints of coffee, the hints of chocolate that come in yours, but it's not an overwhelmingly heavy, you know, stout like a lot of people brew and it's just a very unique product. And then obviously, you know, the addition and I, and I love that you guys did this, the, the little widget, the, the little device that you have a uh, little plastic device that allows you to pour a perfect head every time so that, you know, no bartending skills necessary. And that's such an important part of the style experience as well is that head that, that, you know, cream that you get atop. So, you know, I don't know who I had the idea that we need to do this, but my goodness, that was a brilliant one. I appreciate that <laughs> kind note on the beer. I, I think Kristen would agree. We have to give all the credit to uh, the team, the Dublin team and our head of U.S. sales who have been in the stout market for years and realize what a quality product can be like and what it needs to be like. And as mentioned, they spend so much time developing this. And also to mention that Connor recently in the development process with Porterhouse, ended up buying the brewery. So now it's 100% owned, 100% McGregor owned on the canning lines, um, you know, are now in-house, so to speak. Well, and that I'm sure is going to lead to many more great products coming out as well. And, and uh, you know, hopefully maybe you'll talk to us a little bit about that. Is there plans for some other products that are similar? I mean, you know, obviously the base that you have now, the experience that you have now is is one that if you haven't had this product yet you need to go and find it in the markets you can find it because it really is a different and unique product and um you know certainly worth the drinking experience and yet you know as you said the calorie content is not is is low the fact that your you know abv is is as low as it is too which is very unlike a stout. I mean, stouts normally have a much bigger ABB. So, you know, it's really nice to see that you've created a product that everybody can sit down and enjoy, but truly is in that stout uh, category, that stout nature. Yeah. I mean, right now we're really focused on penetrating the market here uh, and worldwide with this current one. And who knows what the future brings? I'm sure there'll be more things to come when it comes to other product shoot-offs from this, you know, flagship no, I'm glad that Gene mentioned it because I was going to mention it too, was the, the ABV was uh, much lower than an atypical stout beer because I love stout beers, but like I'll drink one and probably feel 
relatively tipsy. Uh, <laughs> this is something where, you know, it's it's much more approachable as far as the ABV is concerned. Or, you know, if you want to grab a beer or two and you, you're a stout lover like myself, like you can, you know. And so to, to me that that was really important because I was just like, I love stouts. Um, now, Kristen, I don't know if this is a question for you or for Trevor, but um, I, I know that Connor, Connor McGregor also wanted, wanted a lot of symbolism on his can. Um, so I know that there's a lot that represents him and his family and his lineage and everything. Um, so I don't know if you wanted to go over some of the symbol, symbolic um, representation of Connor and his, his brand. Yeah, of course. So one thing that's noticeable about the can is that it's obviously branded in this really like beautiful kind of stone aesthetic and it features very prominently a sword on it. That's a Claymore sword that's actually from the McGregor family crest. And on it, you'll see some etchings. That etching actually is the McGregor name, um, but done in the ancient uh, Irish dialect um, that is no longer used, but is um, featured on the sword from their family crest. And so it's uh, not meant to be hitting you over the head with the fact that this is all about Conor McGregor. And rather, what's really exciting about this beer is that it alone as a product is a world-renowned, high-quality beer that has been crafted out of their brewery in Dublin after years of development. And so the product itself stands on its own two feet. It's just that McGregor being a part of it is an incredible addition to really bringing to market this new stout with a really approachable uh, flavor profile, mouthfeel, and all that goodness. So um, that approach is reflected on the can, which... Um, you know, we're really proud of that design and uh, really excited about the brand itself and what it stands for. And and I'm excited for, you know, you guys and for for him as well, because you, he doesn't have just the beer out. He does, as you had mentioned, he has uh, proper number 12 out, which is an Irish whiskey. And then I believe he just came out with proper apple. Yeah, they just launched a new flavor of proper 12, which is proper apple. Yeah. So I'm excited about that, but I'm going to, um, you know, give it back to Gene because he, he had asked you guys if he, you know, you have anything else that is in the works, you know, as far as the beer, craft beer brewing is concerned. So, uh, you know, obviously we, you know, can't discuss or disclose, you know, some, some trade secrets, but do you, do you know if Connor has, uh, some beers that are, that are being developed over at his, um, brew pub? So as you might imagine, you know, we're not, you know, building this company just to launch only one singular stout. Um, no, certainly, especially having the connection to the Black Forge in, there's ample opportunity for product development and testing with the, thousands and thousands of tourists that come from all over the world to visit Connor's Bub in Dublin. That being said, we definitely can't speak to what is in that pipeline of development. <laughs> Just that the team obviously is, uh, is very excited about the opportunity that Forge as a company presents to um, bring a number of exciting products to market. So 
about how it's been received. I mean, you know, the or the United States beer market is certainly a very interesting place now. It's almost like we have caught up to the rest of the world, uh, you know, Ireland and, and and Germany and and you know other places in the world when it comes to understanding what quality beer is. Uh, you know, not that I want to you know say anything negative, but you know. I mean, when, when Bud and Bud Light and Miller and Miller Light were your biggest brands in the country, it probably doesn't speak well to, you know, the, the quality of the beer we drink in this country. And it's nice to see this product come over. And it's nice to see, obviously, the craft beer movement taking off. Um, but your product is one that, in a good way, you know, is a super high-quality product. How is it being received in in the general market? Because it is a little bit more complex. It's a little, well, okay. It's a lot more complex. It's a lot more flavorful, you know, with chocolate and coffee and, and other, you know, hints in there. It's certainly a product that a lot of, you know, Bud Light, Bud, Miller, Miller Light people are not going to understand. So, you know, what's the general... Uh, feel you're getting as you open up and uh, new markets well i mean on a high level we've seen incredible reception not only from current stout drinkers who are trying it for the first time and seeing something (coughs) similar yet different to what they're used to with the products in the market but as you mentioned uh gene you know we've seen this craft beer boom for the past what 10 plus years and all the ipas and all the different types of um lagers that have come out and there hasn't really been an approachable more mainstream lighter type of stout and so that's been a very interesting and amazing reception to see you know you are having light beer drinkers try it for the first time i go oh my god this is unbelievable i never thought i would i would like a dark beer and then you're as i mentioned you're having traditional kind of really almost consummate professionals who are stout drinkers being like, wow, this is actually something I can really get behind. It's lighter. It's coffee notes. It's a little, little easier on the palate. And so in the short history of this brand in the U S gene of what, three months now, it, it's been very eye opening for Chris and I to be boots on the ground to see such strong reception in our key markets. And, and that's really wonderful for me to hear as being someone in the craft beer, uh, business because it, it gives me hope that people are, you know, educating themselves and learning more about what they, what a, a stout should be. And, and that's, you know, it, a stout, I, and I, I love the craft beer movement. I'm not an IPA guy by any means. Um, you know, with that amount of hops that go in there, it's kind of like adding extra garlic to food. You know, you can make a mistake and nobody's going to notice. Um, but making a stout, you have to produce just a 100% perfect product or whatever mistake is going to shine through and, and it's not going to be a great product. So, you know, you mass producing this product, you know, you, you really do have something going in that aspect because there is no room for error in a stout. You know, it has to be done in a particular way and you want those, those notes and in your particular situation, the coffee notes and a little bit of chocolate and just everything that goes with it, the richness, you know, you really just nailed something on there that, you know, 
a lot of the IPA people and everything. I wasn't sure how that would be received. So it's so positive to me to hear that it's just taking off in the markets. Yeah, I. That's a great point. And, and you know, Chris and I, you know, some people could see it as a challenge. We see it as a massive opportunity. Is that obviously the stout market is a smaller percentage of the total beer market consumption at the current moment. And to your point. There's not a lot of room for error for something great. And that's why we're so blessed and happy that the, the, the team, all credit to them, has really produced something that is has sustain, you know, it's sustainable and it's something that we can build off of. So we love that we love the opportunity to try to entertain and educate and uh, get people turned on to the stout because it's you see, as I said, you see new eyes say I never had it. You see current eyes who are really interested in it. So it's a really unique opportunity that we see to try to break in. So obviously, you know, with the addition of the device in the, that pours the perfect head, uh, whatever you want to call it, the widget, the, you know, the, whatever you want to call this device, uh, which is a very cool concept. Um, do you now see, and, and I haven't really researched this. Do you now see other companies trying to, to copy that idea? And, uh, you know, obviously, you know, that is truly the best form of flattery when they're, when they're doing something like that. But is that something you're starting to see in the market from, you know, looking back at other people trying to experiment with that? I can't speak to that as much, but Kristen, you might have a perspective that I don't on, on seeing other things in the market that have similar tie-ins to the technology. I think that we generally understand that the technology we've deployed here is a huge barrier to entry. And so we actually kind of view this as a singular investment that helps differentiate us in a field where like primary craft beer innovation has taken the place of like kind of that whole milk stout category or really just been seen in more of the traditional IPAs that we've all seen come become double IPAs, triple IPAs, et cetera. And so for us to really take this stand, invest in the nitro canning line, of which there are not many globally, um, feels like our real kind of stake in the ground around how seriously um, we're taking this project, how much Connor has invested in it personally to make sure that this brand is a a success. And so we don't see a lot of competition when it comes to the... um, general like what are the new brands investing in this specific technology because we understand that like this in and of itself is a barrier to entry and we're so fortunate to be able to invest in this technology to make a fabulous beer that then can be canned and sent all around the world well you certainly succeeded in doing that and and it's so exciting to see other markets for you and and opening up and uh, i know that in a short amount of time in philadelphia you know, people, there's a little bit of buzz and, and people are, you know, serious beer people are starting to talk about it. But also, you know, the middle of the road beer crowd is starting to talk about it. And that's really, in, in my I, you know, in my mind, that's the biggest market there is, is, you know, that middle of the road that, that likes beer, that's, you know, familiar with different styles. And you're hitting them and saying, wow, this is really different, really unique. And it truly is. That's a great point, Gene. Now, on that note, um, we we ran out of time, unfortunately, but we love we have fun talking to everyone. So let our listeners know where to find you guys and where to find the beer. You can find more about Forge Irish Stout on our Instagram at Forge Irish Stout. 
And um, actually within the next few days, our website will be updated with a beer tracker at forgeirishstout.com. And so you can see which retailers have it locally around you. Um, we're really excited and uh, hope that people follow along the journey. It's going to be great. All right. Thank you so much for joining us on Food Farms and Chefs. Thank you so thank much. Thank you both. Pleasure to meet you both. And thank you. Thank you. And we will be right back after this short break. To become a sponsor of Food Farms and Chefs and have your business or event promoted on two radio stations in Philadelphia that play on Tuesdays during Drive Time Radio and on a station in New York on Fridays at 1 p.m., you can email us at foodfarmsandchefs at yahoo.com, ibfoodie2 at yahoo.com, or arpolicus at gmail.com. Hi, and welcome back to Food Farms and Chefs. And I am very excited to bring another aspect of everything that we love about indulging in drinking a the event producer for the Bucks Beer Bash Jeff Rapp is on with Food Farms and Chefs Jeff thank you for joining us Oh I am it's a pleasure I'm happy to be here <laughs> and I'm happy that you're here too So um this is going to be the inaugural beer beer festival for a local brewery but it is going to it is open for all breweries, for all vendors to come out and for people to come out in order to enjoy the festivities. So tell us a little bit about the Bucks Beer Bash and what people can look forward to. So uh, we are uh, really fortunate uh, folks that live in Bucks County in the area. We just have a very rich uh and uh, a diverse group of breweries, distilleries, wineries in the area. And uh, with the focus you know, on craft beer specifically, and uh, we thought it would be really appropriate to come up with a beer festival that just really focuses on the local aspect of craft brew. Uh, some of the beer fests you go to uh, will feature beers from all over the country, which is great for people that you know, aren't going to travel to different states uh, to be able to experience. Uh, but most of those beers are available in a distributor if you go. This is really focused on the local people that are doing their craft, uh, literally and figuratively. And uh, we're very excited uh, to be able to get as many as the local brewers as we can into uh, a really lovely facility with the Fuge. Uh, and have a uh, a really uh, great beer festival in a part uh, of winter at the end of winter where there's really not much going on anyway. So uh, I think uh, uh, we're very excited to uh, to bring it to the folks in this area. And and I mean, I I of course I would have to travel to you, but I love beer festivals because it really any beer festival you go to, you know. It's it's you can feel the energy. People are always in a good mood because who doesn't love a beer in their hand <laughs> or some food to like munch on? Because you know, I'm wondering if you're gonna have those the the pretzels, the pretzel necklaces that everybody walks around with too. Well, I don't know that we're going to be offering those, but if people feel compelled to bring them with them around their neck, they are they are certainly welcome to. Uh, we we will have much more robust food options available to them in their big Bavarian pretzels. Those might be a little, a little big for being around the neck, but uh, 
I, I always found that humorous when I saw those beer necklaces, especially like during summer events when people are sweating and going from this. Uh, yeah, I don't know that I would want one of those, but uh, feel free to bring it with you if you'd like. It's part of it's part of the you know ambience is seeing the the individuals with those you know cr- basically pretzeling Christmas tree pretzeling their neck, but um because <laughs> we just got out of Christmas. But I mean, you had mentioned more robust menu and an. I'm going to then throw back to the fact that you guys have the fuse and you have tranquility that, are, you know, and your bar menu and your food menu. Um, I've eaten there before. The food there is really, really, it's fantastic. So um, what are some of the food food items that we can look forward to when visiting? Okay. Uh, so uh, let me uh, see if I can remember uh, the all the delicacies that, that the Fuge is uh, looking to prepare for us. But certainly uh, pretzels, Bavarian soft pretzels, some cheesesteak spring rolls and roast pork Philly style, cheesesteaks, chicken fingers and fries. And uh, the Fuge has uh, what they call the moon dust fries, which is, are, are kind of their specialty. Uh, and uh, all these uh, delicacies, if you will, <laughs> of uh, healthy offerings uh, for uh, those beer goers. But, uh, you know, enough to uh, to give the stomach a good base if you're going to do uh, several tastings. So uh, I have eaten uh, the food at Tranquility, and uh, it is fantastic. In fact, I was just there yesterday uh, with uh, their uh, fries and dipping sauce uh, watching uh, the Cowboys get decimated, which was uh, a very fun event. So uh, I uh, I would say there's going to be a gr- uh, great beer and great food uh, available. So uh, bring your thirst and your hunger. Uh, we will assuage both. Yes, of well, course. One of the things that I saw about the festival that is very unique is that you have a very unique and very different model for the pricing you're not as expensive, you know, $70, $75, $80 ticket uh, like a lot of beer festivals are. You're very reasonable. And, um, you know, from what I understand, you're also, in, in doing that, you know, are really supportive of the breweries in that aspect as well. And then to top all that off, that a portion of the proceeds is going out to Children's Hospital as well. So what's the model that you're working with? Yeah, I, I think Gene brings up a, a great point because, uh, you know, beer festivals have evolved over the years. Uh, and it used to be that breweries could just easily show up and, and be there because they wanted to get exposure. But as the industry has matured, a lot of the bigger breweries, even the local breweries, they're out there. They don't need the additional exposure, but it's really an opportunity for them to get there and interact with the public uh, in a greater degree than in their tap rooms. And then some of the more uh, smaller and more startup breweries uh, do get that benefit of exposure. So Gene mentioned the model. Uh, it used to be you would pay this high uh, fee to get in as, as an attendee. And uh, in order to get your money's worth, you had to try and drink as much as you can. And that's sort of a recipe for <laughs> for be overindulging and maybe not the best model. Uh, ours is a little bit different. 
we uh, we have created these drink tokens that are tasting tokens, if you will, that uh, people can buy in the quantity that they feel comfortable with and cash them in, uh, literally drop them in a little box at, at each of the brewer stations and, and have a uh, have a selection of beers that they can curate themselves going from brewery to brewery. And as uh, Gene mentioned, uh, the end result is we can generate uh, revenue that goes uh, back to the brewers, but also to our charitable partner, the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. So it's really a win, win, and win. It's a win for the goers, a win for the uh, the breweries, uh, <coughs> a, a win for the event people too, but uh, also the charity. So. Uh, I think that is a model we'd like to test, and we think people are going to enjoy it. I've kind of uh, focus grouped it with a couple people, and they're like, yeah, that's a great idea because I want to bring my friend, and, and he or she doesn't drink that much, and so this would be perfect. Uh, so uh, I I do think that it's not only uh, a good revenue model for breweries and the event, but also promotes maybe a, a little more uh, – restraint in uh and how you uh celebrate uh, at the festival of course and now with the tokens and the the sample the samples that they're you know choosing all from the different vendors that are there um how big of a pour is the each token associated with so typically uh, a beer festival pour is uh a four ounce glass uh so you know each festival goer will get a four ounce glass. And a, a lot of times as you get into further tastings, people will say, you know, give me a half pour or whatever when you're, if you're doing 10 or 12 tastings, because those four ounces will add up quickly. Every three is a can of beer. So uh, those four ounces are really good. Uh, and there's almost people like wine connoisseurs that will take a couple sips and uh, there's places where you can dump the rest of your beer and, and, and water stations where you can clean it out at, at some places, which, you know, we'll have as well and go on to the next. So it's, it's really, we say it's about quality, not quantity. And also to note off of that, because you're getting different breweries that are coming in and, you know, offering these samples, you don't know what the ABV is. So that <laughs> that four ounce pour, which equates to, you know, one one full beer could also, you know, be anywhere from a four point, I think two is the lowest I've ever seen an ABV at to who knows how high of an ABV for, you know, like a stout like um, our previous guest had uh, had come on was a stout, but a low ABV stout. Um, most stouts that I know are higher in ABV or you could have like a triple or, you know, something to that matter. So, you know, also pay attention to that. Yeah, I think you've got uh, you've got some double IPAs and imperial stouts and and other specialty and Belgians that can uh, get up there in double digits. Uh, so a, a four ounce beer is almost like drinking a full uh, can of Bud. Uh, uh, and I would not encourage you to drink a can of Bud, but come and have some better beers at this beer festival. Uh, uh, the uh, the diversity, I think, is really interesting. And, and most, I think, of the brewers will give you a heads up. Some of them when on their signs where they describe their beers will provide the uh, the ABV or like uh, my beer buddies and I like to say the octane of, of each beer. So you can you can gauge accordingly. 
Of course. Now, along with the obviously, you know, going there and attending and enjoying uh, a variety of beers to taste and uh, the menu items that you guys are offering, uh, are are there any other things that people can look forward to? You know, is there live music? Are there, you know, the oversized adult, you know, Jenga and, and tic-tac-toe or whatever that uh, where you drop the, the the big chip in? and Oh, the Connect Four. Yeah, yeah. that's the Connect Four. Like, are, are we looking forward to anything outside of that? Oh, of course. Uh, there will be music for sure. You got to have music uh, at a beer festival. And I think the... <clears throat> The venue of the Fuge, uh, the actual tasting floor, if you will, is is circular. So you can kind of go around and around, uh, which is kind of fun. Uh, so there really is no beginning and end. It's like a never-ending story. But we'll have music in one section and food with the other. Um, there'll be interactive games. There's an interactive trivia game. Uh, there's going to be mini cornhole tournaments. Uh, there is a Papa shot. Uh, there are uh, other uh, oh, a beer stein challenge uh, <laughs> where you have to hold the beer stein out. And all of these are fun activities that people in between tastings can enjoy, uh, get a little break from uh, going to the different beer stations. And uh, there's an opportunity for them to win some free tokens as well. So they uh, so there is a uh, there is definitely a music and fun element to the event. We also have uh, a VIP uh, portion of the event, which, you know, like most uh, beer events, the Beer Bash will have uh, an hour open early for VIPs so they can get in and talk to the brewers and have a more intimate conversation without having people lined up behind them. And we also look to uh, get some beers that will not be available to the general public uh, in general admission that they will have a chance to taste and, and to have a conversations with uh, uh, with the brewers and uh, and maybe some appetizers for them to uh, to, to munch on as part of, of that VIP. So uh, there is a, a number of different activities uh, that I think will keep people uh, very happy and engaged uh, beyond just the beer, uh, which I think is always a good formula for a real event, uh, a bash, a party, and uh, and not just about uh, drinking as much beer as possible, which is not a model that we want to support. Uh, we like people to be uh, just a little more discriminating about what they like and be able to relax a little bit. And we think this uh, this will do that. Of course. Now, with the VIP um, entrance fee, is there any VIP tours of the Fuge con considering uh, where it's located in its history? I think that can be arranged. Uh, you're really uh, where we are. The VIP uh, lounge, if you will, is up uh, off the main floor. Uh, and uh, there's an opportunity for them, uh, I believe, to see the control room. And you can get a, a real good peek at the gondola from there, which is Literally, the capsule where they spun Alan Shepard and John Glenn and all the, uh, you know, the Mercury and Apollo astronauts. And it's, it, it gives you a chill to, to see that within an arm's distance, this is where that happened. Uh, and that's especially interesting because this year is the 55th anniversary of the moon landing. So uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that is very cool. I didn't know that. Now you do. This is an informative event uh, as well. So you get a little history, you get a little local beer, music and food. Of course. And um, so I, I also want to, you know, just 
let our listeners know where can they find the tickets? Where can they find um, how to how to attend the event? So uh, we are using this technology called the World Wide Web. It's it's amazing if you've seen it. All the kids are using it these days. Uh, so you can reach us at www.bucksbucks beer bash bucksbeerbash.com. And that's got all the information about the event. There's links to tickets. Uh, if you're a local business and you want to sponsor the event, there's an opportunity to sponsor the event. You could see our music acts. Uh, you can look at the, more importantly, the current list of participating breweries and distilleries, et cetera, which, by the way, continues to grow on a daily basis. So uh, always check back to see. But uh, uh, it's... Uh, it's a fine little event site that will give you all the information. And look, if you've got questions, we've got a nice FAQ section, or you can just email me at info at bucksbeerbash.com, and I will personally answer your questions. So uh, I would suggest that's the, that's the starting place uh, to go. That's perfect. Now I am looking forward to doing to uh, attending. I believe that we will have a table set up, so we're going to be interviewing people live um, at Bucks Beer Bash uh, on for food farms and chefs. So look for us as well. But I am so excited on March 9th to attend to be there to participate um, on multiple levels. But um, thank you so much, Jeff, for joining us on Food Farms and Chefs. Oh, thank you for having me. Uh, and I look forward to meeting you there as well. <laughs> no problem. And for anybody looking to, to join us or to say hello, we will be there at Buck's Beer Bash. So look for your tickets online. And we will be right back after this short, short break. Recording stopped. Join us on Food Farms and Chefs Radio Show, where we highlight everyone from top industry leaders to startups and the farmers who make it all possible with co-hosts Gene Blum and Amaris Pollock with original episodes that debut every Tuesday at 6 p.m. on WWDB 97.5 HD2 and at WWDBAM.com and on your smart speaker. Hi, and welcome back to Food Farms and Chefs. And I'm very happy to introduce Justin Hoke, who is one of the owners of Ya Brew, which is located in Hershey, PA. Justin, welcome to Food Farms and Chefs. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. On the line also is Jean Blum, who is my, one of my co-owners and co-hosts, Food Farms and Chefs. But I'm sure he'll jump in every so often, but I want I wanted to just get a little bit of background about you um, because this is not your first venture in the brewing system. You have, you know, been a brewer at previous locations. So what was that like, you know, learning on learning at a brew, like how to brew at different breweries and, you know, what inspired you to get into it and start your business? Owning your own, obviously, it's it's a goal for a lot of people, whether they decide to push for it or not. It's something I'm sure a lot of people in this industry thought about in the past, maybe in the current climate, not as often. But uh, yeah, as you mentioned, I've been I worked at a few different breweries. Um, I got into the industry what I would consider early on for the, like the new age uh, popularity of breweries, and I worked for a, a place that no longer exists called Joe Boys, and uh, they were in Central PA, and it was more 
more or less, uh, I had a lot of restaurant experience and my buddy got a manager job there and he didn't really know much about beer. And he was like, Hey, I, I could use somebody to cover some shifts if you're interested. And I said, sure. And it, it kind of, that was my jumping off point in, in starting to take an interest in everything. I'd imagine that was probably 2013, 2014. So I got interested through that capacity and I bartended and then I went back to other restaurants uh, where we did a lot of craft beer focused business, you know, with the boom coming in. Some places saw it and they brought me in because I had taken a, a more drastic interest. It was still very new for so many people back then to differentiate styles, varieties, brands, um, keeping up with everything popping up left and right back at that time. And I was navigating that myself, but I was a little bit ahead of the curve compared to the average average restaurant person. Um, Then I worked for Springhouse in Lancaster, uh, bartending with them and kind of helping out like off the clock in the brewery, just an extra set of hands with packaging. And then uh, I moved out this way and got a job with Tattered Flag bartending, but I homebrewed here at the house and take stuff in and they seem to really enjoy it. So they brought me down into the brewery and within less than a year, I worked my way through Sellerman packaging um, manager, I guess was my title uh, running the canning line, which was all new to us. And then uh, I was the head brewer there just before COVID hit and they were really good to me. They basically were like, here's, here's the keys to this part of the castle. You do your thing. I didn't really talk to the owners much about business stuff because things just kind of clicked. Things went well. Um, I, I kept myself busy brewing, packaging, uh, doing collabs, different events and that sort of thing. And it was nice to kind of learn on other people's equipment and really navigate that that whole experience. And I was like, you know what? I, I feel like I'm doing a lot of this. Uh, you know, I could possibly make it more lucrative by being the owner. So my wife and I talked about it a number of times and we finally just took the leap and started, I think, February of 22 is when we just decided we're going to do this. And then by March or May, we were licensed and just doing pop-ups and that sort of thing and and got at it. Now here we are. And here you are. And now mm. I'm a 90s kid. Like I, I grew up most of my teen years, of course, were in, in the 90s. And um, I love everything about the 90s. Um, so the fact that you came across my my uh, radar and you are definitely a 90s themed bar, what brought you to that decision um, to, I mean, because it's bright, there's, you know, things that grab your attention. Um, it's fun because of the play off of the different um, aspects of your beers and your menu items can circle back to that era. So what brought you to the decision to to bring about that kind of theme? Because every brewery has a different theme and, you know, and it matters because it's kind of like it helps with your brand. It helps get your name out, but it also draws people in. So what was it about the 90s that drew you and your wife to uh, to utilize that era? I'm trying to think if there's like a, like one solid answer to that and i don't know that there there de- certainly is like a, a pinpoint or like an aha moment uh i just i i wanted to do something different i mean you mentioned a lot of breweries do have their identities and some are more apparent than others and at the time you know i was the head brewer with the tattered flag and you know 
coming out of COVID through political climates, you know, it, it seemed that their military branding associated, you know, for good or bad, a political identity. So that's one thing I wanted to avoid right out of the gate. Uh, you know, people looked at it and they said, oh, you're, you're military guys, you must think XYZ and believe all of these, you know, such and such. And I don't know if that affected their business for good or bad, but it definitely affect, you know, I, I was very active on their social medias. I did a lot of the posts uh, there because a lot of it was beer related and I would I would see the messages come in. Some people were just nasty because of that. So uh, really want to stay away from anything that can draw those conclusions. Um, something fun. And I wanted to lean into like, how, how can we stand out? Uh, you know, do we want repurposed barn wood all over our establishment and empty whiskey and wine barrels as tables? That had its time, but it seemed very cookie cutter when we were making these leaps um, into starting our own. And, you know, what can we do to, to really be different? Like how, how do a lot of these breweries have a unique identity when a lot of them are just in a warehouse with repurposed wood everywhere. So the 90s kind of clicked. There was a lot of great pop culture references, um, you know, music that myself and a lot of people enjoy of all genres. It was something that we could easily lock into. So much broad appeal, like I said, between music, movies, pop culture. There's references for everything that we can incorporate into beer, food, or cocktail menus. Uh, we have a, a big mural, a biggie on the wall. We play 90s music videos there. It just, it kind of, once I decided like, yeah, I think that this is could be a cool concept. And then my brain just started rolling. And like I said, you think the music videos, like how can we, what, what are some cool beer names we could do? And you know, our most popular beers and our core brand beers all have references to, you know, one's Hazed by the Bells, our house Hazy IPA, um, the Orange Sherbert Push Pop. I, you know, I don't know that is exclusively 90s, but I think of like the Flintstones, like dessert push pops. And a lot of people, you know, they immediately say, oh, yeah, this reminds me of that. Um, our house stout uh, with coffee is called Internet Cafe. Things that have references to all capacities of the decade. And it, it's fun. You know, people enjoy it. Uh, we we can cross a lot of demographic boundaries. Most people would assume our, our target demographic is people probably in their mid-30s to late-40s. And that is true, but we still see a lot of people are 21. And it's kind of, they get... Picked on a little bit by like other guests. Oh, I bet you don't remember this. Or, you know, it turns into trivia. Hey, do you know what that is? Like, you're obviously 22. Do you even know what this is? And, you know, they, they kind of interact that way. And people of older demographics get to share, you know, how this is impactful with younger people who are there just because they like to try a new beer or they thought our cocktails look cool that we posted on our social medias. Well, I, I know that with the beers, uh, because obviously you're a brewery and you focus on that, uh, you went from home brewing to, you, as you said, um, learning on somebody else's larger brewing system. Our co-host, Gene Blum, is also a brewer, so he's very familiar with the process of, of brewing. Um, I'm not quite sure, Gene, if you've ever home brewed, but... I'm sure the transition, you know, from a smaller scale, small batch craft brew to a larger scale brewery of Yabrew um, definitely was a difference. And, and I'm sure Gene has something something to contribute because he, he brews all the time. Well, you know, the first thing that, that struck me listening is you went from, 
you know, getting the the go ahead and say we're going to do this kind of in February and in March, getting your license and doing pop ups and everything like that. And I'm like, wow, that was like a fast process of really getting it together and and you know increasing your production size and and depending on what it is, you know, in, in my facility. Yeah, you know, we're a little over our, our fermenters are a little over nine kegs. And, you know, yes, you get a lot smaller ones, but, you know, just equipment and everything like that. So, you know, kudos to you for being able to pull that off so fast when so many people really spend so much time trying to get it. And, you know, by the time they move around, they missed six months or a year of opportunity because they just moved very slow. So, you know, you really just, hey, we're going to do this, and into the market you went. Had to be an interesting uh, challenge and an interesting time for you. Yeah, I, well, it was definitely exciting. I should note that I went from Tattered Flags, 10-barrel, like, state-of-the-art system, to back to my homebrew system, which we started with professionally. Um, I had an oversized homebrew system. I was doing one barrel for homebrew. Um, and I actually, I upgraded to basically two barrel tanks, but we still operate at a one barrel capacity, uh, for a number of our beers at this time. Um, and the reason that we stuck with such a small production is a, I already owned it. Um, we were able to start this whole brewery out of pocket, like not even savings. We were just it was very inexpensive. We had a lot of people rooting for us. Um, so get some beers rocking and, and then we we're going to the farmer's market and then, you know, reinvesting every dollar that we made selling product right back into our growth on, up until the point where, you know, we found our brick and mortar. And then from there, it just snowballed on. Um, we're, I'm still doing one barrel, which keeps me very busy for production. Although, um, you know, as I mentioned, a lot of people were, were rooting for me. I've had two breweries, unfortunately, which both closed um, in the last two weeks that were just not fully utilizing their system. So we basically did, you know, a contract brew situation, but I would actually go and brew on their systems in order to um, supplement some of that stress for our core brand products and um, and and. and backstock a little bit of each of those drafts um, at least a few weeks out so that I didn't have to just constantly be turning out beer on the one barrel back to back to back. So do you have a particular style that you like to focus in on or, you know, are you uh, a, a pills or an ale or, you know, an IPA? Is there a particular style that you really uh, like to, you know, showcase or, you know, do you really just go all over the board with it? I do go all over the board and especially, you know, previously with, with tattered flag, we had 20 taps and then we'd have a dozen uh, varietals and cans that were not on tap. Uh, so I, I really got to experiment with a variety of styles and sub styles, but at our, at, with Yabru, uh, we have 12 taps. Um, and I know that this is not popular amongst a lot of traditional brewers, but we our most popular beers are probably our sours, and as of recently, people have really been enjoying a lot of the stouts that we've done. You know, obviously, we're following some seasonal patterns. Uh, the sours I kind of do more heavy in towards the end of summer because they're you know lighter ABV, but they're usually refreshing because we do like heavily fruited sour ales. Um, 
new age sours. I call them not so much like traditional um, or you know saison styles or anything Brett uh, or spontaneous fermentations. And then in the spring, uh, what we found success with doing our markets and pop-ups was a lot of the new age IPAs, uh, the hazy IPAs, you know, they sell like wildfire and I enjoy making them. It's a style that I actually enjoy drinking from time to time, but that's what the public seems to want. Our, we do our, in terms of light beer, you know, we have a Kolsch and it's, it is like, it's our number three bestseller. Number one is our orange sherbet push pop sour. And number two is our haze by the bell, hazy IPA followed third by the, our Callahan Kolsch. Um, so I, I go across the board in a kind of a seasonal approach where I'll go heavy on certain styles based on what the weather dictates in our area. You know, it's, it gets very cold. I, I'm not sure where you guys are. I think I saw like Eastern PA maybe, but um, I mean, it was, we were just in a Lancaster area. Uh, I was actually just at Mad Chef and driving back here. It's, you know, the snow's coming down. It's starting to lay. It's freezing cold and windy. Um, so, you know, stouts are definitely more popular in those climates amongst people that are open to trying varietal styles versus, you know, there's people that like stouts all year and uh, they love coming in and saying, oh, I'm glad to see, you know, I'll, I'll take stouts to brew fest in the summer because I know a lot of breweries don't bring them. So ultimately, to answer your question, I'm, I am all over the board, but I would say that if we have a style, it's a little bit of um, gluttonous brewing. Uh, you know, when it comes to the sours, I, I go over the top with the adjunct sometimes. Um, the stouts that we found to be more popular have been the more heavily adjuncted. Uh, we did a pumpkin spice latte that was extremely popular. Um I recently did a gingerbread stout for Christmas. Uh, we did a Kit Kat stout for a local Hershey feline group, uh, Coco Kitties. And, you know, we partnered up with a charity, but I put like 20 pounds of, I sat and broke up Kit Kats and they went right into the, the beer on the brew day. Um, <clears throat> so kind of those uh, oddly adjuncted things uh, seem to be very popular Again, amongst the masses of brewer, uh, of craft beer individuals and, and guests who enjoy them. Um, and again, I do know that that's uh, probably scoffed at by the more traditionalists. Um, so we try and have something for everybody. We do, you know, we have the Colts, we have the Hellas Lager. So if that's not your style, uh, we, we've still got something for you <laughs> kind of thing is how I look at it. Well, Justin, thank you for, for, you know, sharing that. And thank you for sharing the different styles and, and creation, beer creations that you have come up with. But we unfortunately ran out of time. So let our listeners know where they can find their beer for, for their style that they, they enjoy at your, uh, at your location. Sure. Yeah. Um, so we are, our brick and mortar tap room is right on Chocolate Ave in Hershey. Uh, we neighbor Duck Donuts, and just down the street from us is Iron Hill. Um, the the park's right out our back door. You can hear the concerts all summer long uh, from our front patio. Um, you can check us out. We're, uh, stay up, up to date with updates, new releases, specialty cocktails, daily specials on our social medias uh, through Facebook and Instagram are our, our two heaviest uses. I think my wife does some TikTok stuff for Yabru. Um, 
Or you can check out our website and reach out uh, through the contact us link. If anyone has any questions, it's yabruco.com. All right. Well, thank you so much, Justin, for, uh, yes, for joining us on Food Farms and yeah. Chefs. And um, I look forward to trying one of your your uh, tasty brews. Fantastic. Keep an eye out for us. At, uh, we got a lot of festivals already reaching out to us, so we're excited for the, the weather to break and get back out to being social and, and attending brew fests. All right. I look forward to that. And uh, everyone, have a wonderful week and stay tuned every week for a brand new episode of Food Farms and Chefs. To listen to the rest of Food Farms and Chefs, tune your HD radio to 97.5 WPEN HD2 or stream live from WWDBAM.com.